0: house party cause 'cause nobody came I know I'm
1: not the one you thought you knew back in high school Never going, never showing up when we act to Attention that we crave, don't tell us to behave I'm sick of always hearing Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by Seakeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co host, Justin Panic. We've got ourselves a Dan Duggan interview, which is about 40 minutes. And we figured after three days, Justin, actually four days, for all Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, we'd be on here talking about some signings. No signings, just departures since our last episode. How are you?
0: No signings. Uh, kind of thank you, Giants. Thank you for allowing us to <laughs> have a weekend. But hey,. I- it's Monday. It's Tuesday. Let's let's get rocking and rolling again. Uh, I got the feeling last week. It's like, oh, we got some additions. We got the, some additions. It was nice. So uh, let's let's get some more, even if they're tiny guys. Um, a. Sean Robinson's a big guy, though. He could be coming.
1: Yeah, I have a film breakdown ready to publish. This is like Kenny Galladay level of preparation for A. Sean <laughs> Robinson. Uh, Justin, before we uh, talk about the losses of Feliciano and Julian Love, uh, this episode was brought to you by Ethan Tob. Dan Walsh, Bill Walsh's son. Mike Lynch, John Lynch's son. A lot of 49ers like, people wow. in, in here today. Just William. That's actually my uh, my nephew. I have a nephew now. His, na- his name is William. Mm. And then John Marciano, Rocky Marciano's son. Justin, who are these people?
0: Does your nephew call you
1: Poopface? Nope, he doesn't talk yet.
0: Nope, doesn't talk yet. It's a um, month and a
1: half old. Mm. I am buying him some NASCAR cars, though. So.
0: Good for you. He might eat them. I'll Uh, save
1: that for another video, but anyways.
0: Patreon.com slash talking Giants. These 49er fans and John Feliciano, that's where they went. Patreon.com slash talking Giants. $2 a month, plus some of the tiers. Hang out with us live while we record the shows, and you can chat with us. We have pre-show chats. We have post-show chats. Bobby Skinner will send you some stickers in the mail, plus there's an opportunity to win some merch twice a month uh, Bobby and I we talked today about uh, the concept for our draft hoodie. So that yeah, is draft in the hoodies process
1: are in production. So in get production,
0: ready. get excited! Patreon.com slash talking giant. Thanks for our patrons.
1: I'm wearing last year's draft hoodie. I think you're wearing the year before's. Draft I'm hoodie.
0: wearing yeah. This, so this is my favorite hoodie. The what was this? 2021. This yeah. this was.
1: Talking that, Giants that's probably our best hoodie we have is yeah. 2021.
0: Talking Giants first the world on the back, simple font and then, you know, the the updated Talking Giants logo on the front. This is my I favorite like hoodie. I
1: like this one. Like I like the like the champion logo of Talking Giants, but the culture of and I love culture of violence on the back. Yeah. But I also did wear it out today. Me and my brother went and got lunch and he's yeah. like, "Nice hoodie dude, just walking around with a hoodie that and Giant <laughs> fonts is culture of violence." Um Julian Love signed with the Seahawks, two years, $12 million. Uh, so the writing was on the wall when the Giants didn't have anything done at the start of free agency with Julian Love. And then they started making signings, you know, guys like Paris Campbell, Bobby O'Carroll, obviously you, you bring in Darren Waller, and it's like, okay, the money is is running dry. Julian Love got two years, $12 million, though, which is about the range that we said would be fair for him and would want him back on. So it does stink that we don't have him back. Safety now becomes a pretty big need. I know they want to trust with Belton, and, and they like Pinnock, but safety still is a, is a need. There's a lot of needs on this Giants team, uh, and it does suck to lose a homegrown guy that you wish you could have kept.
0: By the way, remember when it was so outrageous that I said that Julian Love may get more money than Jordan Poyer? I think Jordan Poyer only got 500000 more dollars um, then Julian love still more, still more. Um, you acted like it was outrageous though. It um, is
1: outrageous. And even though it was close, it was, I was still right. I was almost right, And
0: that's the, that's the name of this podcast. Bobby's right. And then Justin was almost right. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I don't think safety, you, you said it's a big, I don't think it's a huge need. I just think it's, I just think depth needs to be rounded out. I like Pinnock. Um, you drafted Belton. I, I know we kind of have a little bit of differing of opinions. I'm kind of tough. I'm tough on Belton for like no reason, kind of because I didn't love the draft pick to begin with. But because he was drafted in the fourth round, I kind of do expect him, especially in a system where you already have Xavier McKinney, I expect Dane Belton to be a number two safety at some point within the next one to two years. So uh, I think Pinnock can kind of step up and be versatile. I think he could play deep. And Pinnock can play in the box a little bit. Pinnock is still relatively new to the position. He played a corner. Um, what was this, this? His second kind of full ish year at safety, Bobby Jason Pinnock?
1: Yeah, yeah so, he's uh, moved around in both with the Jets and the Giants quite a bit.
0: So I'm excited to see him to see him grow um, with with the Giants. But certainly they need depth. The Giants need depth at the safety spot for sure.
1: Yeah, and and, and Love was a solid player, but kind of he was wanting ten like almost ten million dollars a year like around that number at the at the bye week when they were talking about negotiating and and things were seeming like they're going to get done which obviously he wasn't going to get and there is a rumor that he was offered more by the Giants originally but when he didn't take that the Giants kind of moved on which you've seen that happen with other players too like Dalton Schultz, C.J. Gardner-Johnson um you know kind of Playing their cards wrong and and being stuck, not getting the contract they want. So that's it happened suck. with a lot he,
0: of players. I feel like this offseason, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. This free agency has been like the the NFL owners are loving the way this free agency went. Um, with Julian Love, he was always a solid player for the Giants. I don't think he was at ever any point like a really really good player. He had some good moments, obviously, really good moments. Um, you know, we talked about it. I went over my PPP notes on him. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and the guy literally played different a different position the majority of the time every single year. Where there was one year, 2020 cornerback was the position he ended up playing the most. Like they were they were she was starting games at outside corner in 2020, 2019 playing the box, playing a little more free uh in 2021 and then this year you know playing both free and box but just as a first time as as in a full-time role for the whole season so was a guy you could always rely on like he wasn't a huge difference maker so like i'm not like i'm not weeping at his loss you know but like losing darius slayton would have been more painful than losing julian love uh so it sucks to lose him. Wish we could have kept him. He's he's he falls into the once a giant, always a giant guy. A oh su- yeah, the second most successful day two draft pick of Dave Gettleman's era, uh, only to Darius Slayton.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree for sure.
1: Um, it was a pretty high, like high prospect out of Notre Dame. Like that was one of my favorite picks of the twenty nineteen. Like we really liked Julian Love going into it.
0: Yeah, that was a really um, good value pick. Like f- from the start.
1: Oh yeah, I thought Julian Love was going to be like top of the third round guy. Then obviously we weren't as um as polished in our draft stuff then. But like like he he led the end of uh, college football and passes defa- uh, deflected his senior year. Like he was a really good corner at Notre Dame. They move him yeah. to safety, and then God, he was he was finally going to play free safety. They finally benched Antoine Bethea, and then Jabril Peppers goes down. And he moves into the box, and I felt like that kind of. That told the story of his career as a Giant. Like, came in as a corner, moved to safety, was going to play free, guy gets injured, he goes to the box. That, that was, That's what he was. Duct tape, as Joe Judge would yeah. call him.
0: I have a talking Seahawks question. This is a, this may be a wild question, and I could see how you would say the obvious answer is no. But the Seahawks have a plethora of safeties. Do you think there's any shot that Julian Loves makes makes a move back to corner even nickel? Because remember he was drafted to be a nickel corner? And he kind of just never was.
1: I mean, I nickel it, corner was such a huge question for the Giants that that was like, that was, you know, our first ever Camp Battles podcast was like Julian Love versus Grant Haley as a nickel corner. And I even it wasn't even just fandom. Like, you know, I remember Dan Duggan was like, I think Julian Love should be their nickel corner going into this year. Um, I mean, the Seahawks right now at safety, they have obviously... Uh, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams. Who, who, who else do they got there? Ben Baldwin's
0: like a Seahawks fan, and I know he was saying how they have like they have a lot of safeties.
1: Quandry Diggs, who's a solid player. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe they're trying to work some more three-safety sets. Um, but, I mean, they had Kobe Bryant, who they liked in the nickel last year. True. Uh, and Tyreek woolen So, I, I don't know what what exactly they're going to do. But I, I'm actually excited to watch him, though, for them. Because, like, okay, this is a guy who's never really had a defined position except for one year. And... Now he goes to a new team to see how they value him. So we yep. we we love Julian Love. Uh, nothing but respect for him. And he tweeted talking Giants first of world, which is awkward because I two days before I said I might let him. I he might be my unpopular let walk guy. Yeah,
0: you know, i i have a I have an idea that I'm not rolling out publicly yet. And Julian Love was a player that I wanted to explore possibly doing something with that idea with. And now we can't. One less player on the list.
1: See a Julian Love. Giants, Giants also lost John Feliciano to the 49ers who signed a one-year deal. We haven't seen the money on that. Um, we know that Nick Gates was offered the minimum, and they said we're not negotiating, like take it or leave it. Obviously got a bigger deal there. I wonder if that was the same approach with Feliciano, and it's like, okay, I'm just going to go get whatever I can out there. I, I Again, I, I'd like to see the number on what he got. But the Giants are in a spot now. They have no centers on the roster. Um And it'll be interesting to see how they attack it. Like, Ben Bredesen, who was their second-best offensive lineman, went healthy. We talked about this a little bit with the Dan Duggan interview before Feliciano left. Um, So just take that into note when you're listening, that you don't need to tell us that Feliciano's gone. Uh, Bredesen did play center in preseason, right? Like, you you got to think the natural transition is for Ben Bredesen to play center. They want Azuda to play left guard, and I I think that closes Obviously, they're probably going to want to improve there in the draft, But there's a lot of, I'm telling you, a lot of positions need to be improved on this team. A lot. Like, a lot. So, don't go into these first two rounds of the draft thinking, like, we got to get this position, this position. Because there's needs. You know, and if they take a position in the first round that you think isn't one of their biggest needs, like, to take best player available, man. This team is not talented enough to not take best player available, obviously, with some limitations. Like, don't take a tackle. at pick 25. But... So it's it's a but it's a huge need and even if you want to put Ben Bredesen there, he's been very injury prone for the, his first two seasons as a Giant too.
0: Yeah, and especially if we're talking about pick twenty five, which is why I'm becoming more and more in favor of team trade back. But of course, it takes two to tango, right? You can't just you can't just especially trading back from twenty five is very different from trading back from a top 10 pick or a pick that's in the teens like the Giants had um, a couple years ago with the whole Tony trade, right? But um, like, you know, people are talking about John Michael Schmitz. People are talking about Osiris Torrance and and players like that. We'll talk about those players in the month of April. But if you're talking about first round talents, I think the players of um, Zion Johnson and Kenny Green are much better prospects than some of the top interior offensive linemen uh, this year. So uh, it's funny that Art Stapleton went on Big Blue Kickoff and Research Rick always clips up awesome nuggets from different podcasts. And Art Stapleton went on Big Blue Kickoff and talked about how Joe Shane does give an extra bump on the draft board to certain positions of need. So while there are a lot of positions of need and the Giants may you know, the giants may not force a certain pick. Joe Shane does give a little bump to positions that the giants do need in terms of how they evaluate their draft board. So I do want to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. So center, a huge question mark now. uh, But I I would almost assume they're telling Ben Bredesen, just like Nick Gates in 2020, like start practicing your snaps. I I think I'm going to work to confirm that, even though Ben Bredesen doesn't have Twitter. Um, Justin, before we get into the Dan Duggan interview, why don't you talk to us about something?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll talk to you about something. Um, interior offensive line. I don't care how many guys that the Giants have under contract, Bobby. You you say this all the time. Um, interior offensive line is a spot that I think you should always be adding. Like why why not? Um, especially if you can hit on a day two guy. Um, you know, maybe get some good value out of there. Um, the Chiefs, you know, in a you know the Chief, Creed Humphrey. Um, you know the chief. The Chiefs have have hit on guys on day two. Um, Trey Smith. Remember Trey Smith. He was a day three guy that they that they hit on. So, um, always be taking those interior offensive line. You can never have enough of them. Some say. Let's talk about Manscaped before we kick it to Dan Duggan. And if you haven't already heard, the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolution revolutionary beard hedger. Pro kit. Plus, they've now launched the brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. I actually just recently used the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer a couple days ago. Time for you to upgrade your toolbox by going to manscaped.com and using our code Giants for 20% off plus free shipping. The Beard Hedger, they give you a rotary wheel, and that gives you 20 different hair. Cutting lengths all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add ons. There's also a beard shampoo and conditioner. There's some beard oil, and to cap it off, there is a beard bomb. Beard bomb. And I've also heard rave reviews of the beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. Manscaped for Performance Package 4.0 that is full body grooming. Just when you think that. You can't get enough. Manscaped is giving you more to take care of yourself. So get 20% off and free shipping with our code giants at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And we got the right beat reporter for the right job in Dan Duggan from
1: The Athletic. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. Alright, we now welcome on to the program of The Athletic, the one, the only, Dan Duggan. Dan, how you doing? What are we, about eight days in the free agency?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. First week of free agency is always a little bit of a a blur, but they, they kind of did a good job. They gave us like one big move a day for the first couple of days and then kind of took it easy on the weekend. So it's kind of, from my perspective, I uh, appreciate how they handled that.
1: Oh yeah, this was very. This is one of the more clean free agencies where, like you said, you got like one move at a time, one one a day. Where I remember two thousand twenty-one. Even besides Kenny Galladay, Adore Jackson, it was just like, all right, they signed a free agent. Get all your work done on him, and literally that second, they're like, all right, Reggie Raglan's a New York Giant now. Spend spend <laughs> five till five and in- and they were like late at night too, which is the worst. Yeah. Um. But we've we've kind of seen the the structure of free agency kind of waiting on Sean Robinson news while we're recording this. So if that happens, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, what are your thoughts on how Joe Shane has been structuring these free agent deals? Like obviously they didn't expect Daniel Jones to be back, but has that him coming back and their playoff season didn't, didn't expect DJ back before the season. And right. then their playoff season where they won a game, has that changed this off season a lot for them? Do you think?
2: Oh, I think Absolutely. Um, you know, if you want to go back to when he took over, I don't think there was any plans for Daniel Jones to be here. I don't think there was really a strong plan for Saquon Barkley to be here. You can even go down to guys like Darius Slayton. I don't think we thought he'd be resigning, you know, until pretty recently. I didn't think he was resigning until he resigned. Um, so, no, they've certainly uh, adapted the plan on the fly, which I think in some respects is a positive because you, know, you don't want to be stuck in your ways. You know, you want to be uh, fluid with how you view things at the same time there has to be at least a little bit of concern that like, okay, they won nine games and won a playoff game. Uh, how much of that was sustainable? Cause basically I think there was that stat, uh, the guy from over the cap put out how they've spent the most money in free agency. And most of that money has gone to re-signing. Cause obviously, you know, they're the only team who spent crazy money on a quarterback this offseason. So That's going to tip the scales there. But like, you know, you're just paying Daniel Jones more money. As of now you're paying second Barkley, a little more money. You're paying Darius Slayton more money. Uh, obviously they made some additions, but like, there's still some holes here. So, I mean, they're better, I would say, obviously with uh, O'Karake, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, and Waller. Um, but there's, again, there's still plenty of holes. Obviously they created one with uh, Julian Love's departure. So they're they're being more aggressive for sure. Uh, even the way I think you touched on the structuring deals. I, it's so funny. I just, everything Joe Shane does right now, it's like a oh, masterclass by Joe Shane. I mean, these are very basic structures and they're very kind of, you know, we're backloading them because we want to try and squeeze as much into the cap. So we've, we've seen the pros and cons of that approach. I don't think they're doing anything um, too revolutionary, but I think the way he's structured does speak to the fact that they're kind of going for it a little bit here. And I I don't think that was necessarily the, the idea 12 no, let alone twelve months ago probably six months ago, um, but the way the season finished and where they're at now, they decided to kind of hit the accelerator uh, on their plans.
0: Between I mean I think Dave Guttelman is the ultimate leader especially early on in his in his early days as GM like the the king leader of of backloading deals and just seeing what happens right and then paying you know the Nate solder paying for it down the road so if that's the scale of doing it way too much and relying on it too much versus you know kind of you know front loading deals and you know just you know being conservative in in that area where do you think Joe Shane is lying on on that scale because really i mean while they are backloading deals to me it's like well it's real life in the nfl that you kind of do need to backload deals as the cap grows and as the cap goes up i don't really view this as the giants are going they're going in for something but they're not going all in where do you mm-hmm. agree with that do you just
1: on a scale of 20, 20 2022 to 2021 basically
2: yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i mean listen i and i don't think this my first answer I, I might have made it this but I don't think there's anything inherently bad with backloading contracts. I think you've seen teams like who do so many cap games, like the Eagles and the Saints, and we keep saying, "Oh, it's going to bite them," and it really hasn't. Um, so I think there's validity to doing it that way. You could also go the the old Tampa Bay Bucks. Basically, they, you know, when they got Brady, they were doing what's called cash to cap, where it's like if you sign a forty million dollar contract, it was a ten million dollar cap at year one, year two, year three. It was just like clean as could be, and obviously they flipped that completely on the head once they got Brady, and obviously the Super Bowl window. Um, so I don't think there's, I and mean, again, there's pros and cons to each approach. I think the way Shane has done it, though, it's funny because I think you know I've said this a few times. We all looked at it like we, we got smarter, like oh, don't just trust those first numbers; they're always inflated. But now everyone always assumes like that's always the case. Like sometimes the real numbers are real. Like if you look at Daniel Jones's contract, yeah, there was that, that three-year thing where it's thirty-seven half million. The first two years, though. It's forty-one million and really a little bit more because he's going to hit some of those incentives unless he just gets hurt or is you know abysmal. Um, so that to me was was a real forty million dollar a year deal. Uh, Bobby O'Carrique, like he's getting twenty-two million over the first two years. That's eleven million a year. Um, so like these are these aren't just like some crazy like Alvin Kamara. If you look at his contract, his last year of his um, contract like a twenty-five million dollar base salary, which obviously he will never get. But when you look at the average annual value, it's like fifteen million dollars a year. But that's that's just funny money. That's not real. Um, so that that's the the way Shane has approached it. I think is is been a, been aggressive. But I think again, if you're trying to win, you have to do it that way. Like it's great to do the just have a nice flat cap and you got it, deals all the time. I don't think that's realistic. I think the thing he's done that's been pretty interesting and uh, not commonplace. Certainly not in Giants move. I don't you know study every other team's cap practices. He's gone heavy on incentives and not just incentives, but sort of attainable incentives. A lot of times incentives are crazy things like win the Super Bowl, win MVP. But, like, the Daniel Jones, I mean, I know you guys have looked at it. There's super specific layers there where he can attain them. And he's certainly going to attain the top 15. And if he's in the top 10, like, you could see that happening. And if he's in the top five, you don't care what it costs because if he's a top five quarterback, the things are going pretty well. Um, so that's that's interesting how he's, he's kind of made these incentives part of the package. Uh, Paris Campbell, you know, has a pretty short money deal. He can get $1.7 million just by being active every week. And that's a guy with an injury history. So I understand why they put that in there but also that's attainable for him. So I, I don't know. I've, I'm, I've been interested in the way they um, have structured these deals with that, and they've done a lot of uh, workout bonuses, which is a, a small thing, but they want guys there in April and May and June. Because how many times have you heard Brian Dable and players, you know, McKinney or some of these guys have not spoken, that the culture change started then? And one way to do that is say, hey, well, here's 50 grand, here's 200 grand uh, if you're showing up for those. So I think that's been a very uh, deliberate effort to get those into every contract just to make sure guys are there.
1: They like you mentioned, like with the Daniel Jones, there's a if he's even close to what they want him to be, like not Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes' aspirations, like that deal's going to be over forty million dollars uh, yep. per year. So yeah, like I, I know I know we saw that incentives like up to what was it one ninety five mil, but there's seventy million dollars worth of incentives, and like you said, a lot of those are very real. I think Paris Campbell, if he just had a very a repeat season of last year, that deal would be a five million dollar deal, but on a, on a one year deal. The move that nobody saw coming is the Darren Waller. Um, it ha- like how aggressive do you think that is?
2: I think it's smart. Like I think that's one where I, I really like that move, and yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself almost in retrospect because you knew his name was out there. I mean, there was talk of him. You know, I think it's come out since. I think at the time too, though, that the Packers were trying to trade for him. Apparently, you know, Vegas turned down a two at the time, but we knew that they were going to have to get. Uh, upgrade at, res- at, I'll call it like pass catcher, where you know, you're kind of, you fix on wide receiver, and there's a lot of talk about trading for wide receivers. Uh, none of us had the foresight to see, like, maybe they'll trade for a tight end like him, who, you know, we kind of should have known was available. There was even talk, like, maybe they go for some of these better tight ends rather than spending a wide receiver, even though, like, like Gasecki got, like, no money from the Patriots, and Dalton Schultz is still up there. I'm sure he's not going to sign for much. But, so, that was the thing. was, like, the wide receiver free agent class stunk. The uh, asking price of a lot of these trades uh, seems to be too high, like, say, for the Denver guys. I never really thought, like, maybe they trade for a Waller. I will say the one trade, Brandon Cooks, like, that Cowboys trade, that was one that was kind of in my head, like, yeah, maybe that's like a kind of compromise where you just, you know, they just dump some late-round picks and the Texans even ate some of the money because they just need to get better receivers in here. Uh, but I think Waller, of all the options, is certainly the highest ceiling. I mean, you know, you look at what he did those two years in, in 19 and 20. I mean, he was basically it was Travis Kelsey, and then he was right there behind him as far as a receiving tight end none of the wide receivers available or, you know, at their peak have been anywhere near that, you know, um, that accomplished. So I totally, I, I think it's a really good swing. You know, everything's a calculated risk I and mean, the guy is 30 coming off two injury plague seasons. I mean, he wouldn't be available for the hundredth pick if he was coming off the you know, the 2020 season, obviously. Um, but the fact that they're not tied into him big time, obviously they restructured the deal a little dead money. Listen, you don't trade for a guy expecting to cut him within a year. So you can live with that. Uh, but I think, they just – you couldn't be sitting here a year from now saying, oh, man, look who Daniel Jones was throwing to. It's so hard to tell. Like, you know, you have to give them some bona fide weapons. And, I, you know, I don't know. that, Like, if they got Jacoby Myers, I don't know if you could say, like, hey, they gave him the best they could. I feel like Darren Waller, like, this is as high-end of a weapon as they could have got. You just hope he's healthy so, so we're not sitting here saying, hey, if they only had Waller last year, who knows what Daniel Jones would have done. I think in terms of uh, the process of getting in, didn't give up a ton. And uh, you know, I really like that move. I think it's a low-risk, high-reward.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a phenomenal player. Like he's the to me, he's their best player on the offense right now. Like I think he's better at his his position than Saquon is at his. Um, because I, I like you said, I think after Kelsey, he's the second best. Now you have to factor in blocking and stuff, which he's not great at. Um, do they kind of view him as wide receiver one and? Like how, how do they view that wide receiver one need? Like are are they okay with the ragtag group they have, or do you think they're like trying to pencil in a guy for twenty five?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Joe Shane, you know, he's he's not like he kind of like reveals so like his big picture thoughts. Like he's not quite as close to the vest as maybe some GMs. Like he kept saying. Like everyone's obsessed with wide receiver one, or like you know wide receiver ones. When he said that after the season, like a lot of wide receivers, you know, watching the you know conference championship, whatever it was, but just felt like he was kind of protesting too much, basically saying like, I'm not going to get a wide receiver one this year. Like hopefully people understand that and just managing expectations. Um. So yeah, listen, if they you know they could certainly take one at 25, I still don't think you're going to pencil that guy in as your number one receiver out of the gates. But no, I. I definitely don't think anything they've done in free agency at wide receiver would preclude them from taking one as early or as often in the draft. Like a lot of these guys are one-year deals, slight, and they can get out of it. Um, So there's still a need there long-term and in the short term. Like I don't think you can look and say, oh, this wide receiver core is totally, you know, they fixed everything. I mean, Paris Campbell is kind of like – look at his numbers compared to Richie James last year. It's like, okay, you upgraded there and there's a higher upside, but like it's not uh, a dramatic difference based on what they did last year. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that they weren't going to get a wide receiver one. I think Joe Shane was very well aware of that. I think they pivoted to, like, let's get a tight tight end slash wide receiver one in, in Darren Waller, who's, again, I think he was the best pass-catching option that was available. Um, but, no, I think that that is still a position where uh, they can't rest and say, hey, we're good here. I mean, I think that 25, second round, whatever it may be, I think that's still very much on the table.
1: Yeah, like you said, the wide receiver room has only been slightly upgraded, like Paris Paris Campbell is, like you said, a slight upgrade over – over Richie James with a little more ceiling on that. Darren Waller, like you said, is that huge upgrade to the room. The only reason I, I just have this feeling, obviously, this from the outside looking in, that like we saw in last year – I remember going into last year's draft with – ended up being 11 picks. and be like, there's a lot of holes on this team. Do not expect them to just plug every position that they need help at. And then they did that. They basically – like every position that was of dire need, they went safety, tight end, linebackers. Like every every position they went and plugged – like plugged holes and, and almost drafted for need where I kinda of, I I worry slash think that they might be just like, all right, we gotta get our wide receiver at twenty five. Kind of like kind of like they did uh with Gettleman and Judge in two thousand twenty with getting Tony, where it's like, ah, right, we didn't get Devontae Smith. Let's trade back and get the next best guy on our list.
2: Yeah. Well I mean the line I used last year you know, thankfully for the Giants' sake, it's a little less applicable. Is like they had so many, so many needs. You could just, you know, take best available, and you're still going to hit a need. Uh, they're not necessarily in that boat, but like you said, you, you tick off some of the positions there, like cornerback. Like they haven't even, you haven't even heard them attached to a guy, and that that's a, I think, a pretty significant need. Um, so that's a spot I think definitely could be in the running for for the first round pick. So wide receiver or corner, probably the two, um, you know, priority position, premium positions that could be in play there, but. You know, you probably can rule out like a tight end in the first round. You probably rule out a running back, probably rule out inside linebacker, uh, try the offensive tackle. Pretty much anything else I would say is on the board, and you're still saying, you know, you're certainly addressing a need, but uh, there's a wide range there of needs they can fit, so I think they can be able to th- match those two things up. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that to me, cornerback sticks out. I mean, I even you know, with the, like Dane Brugler's mock drafts and stuff. And it seems like there's cornerbacks in that uh, range and it seems like there's wide receivers in that range. So uh, I think either would probably be the, the kind of favorite if I was setting odds right now where they go with that pick.
0: I want to go back to Waller for for a quick sec. Because as as the week went on last week and as the move fully kind of set in, I'm like, you know, really sitting there being like, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, this is a big deal for – Daniel Jones, like besides Saquon Barkley, but even, you know, not even counting Saquon Barkley, like this is the best receiving weapon that Daniel Jones has had throughout his career so far. So what is the role you envision for Darren Waller? Not necessarily schematic wise, but is this, you mentioned like, you know, is this the number one target move that Joe Shane made this off season without costing us wide receiver one assets? And here's the main thing. Will he be relied upon? like a number one target, getting 100, 110, maybe even creeping up towards 120 targets? Because that's a lot of targets. And I don't know if there's been a singular receiver that Daniel Jones has thrown to his career that's gotten like 100 plus, 110 plus targets.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I would think so. I mean, again, you just kind of look at what else is there. I mean, obviously you want to have a balanced offense, isn't that, um, but it's, you know, you don't have to look too far to this coaching staff's background. Obviously, Mike Kafka spent a lot of time in Kansas City. We saw how they featured a tight end. Brian Dable was the tight ends coach in New England when, when Gronk was uh, in his prime. So they know how to feature a tight end. Now uh, you're going to want to, they're going to do, you know, all the stuff they do. They're going to move guys around. They're going to have a lot of that, you know, quick passing in to get the ball into some of these guys' hands and, and that type of thing. But I would think uh, Darren Waller is going to be, you know, when you're getting making out the game plan, it's going to be how we're going to kind of feed this guy first and foremost. And I also would think, um, you know, Daniel Jones is back in the pocket, he's probably going to trust him. Uh, you know, more than some of these other guys too. You can, uh, you know, it's funny. We talk, like some of these things sound like Kenny Galladay where it's like, you know, he put it up for grabs for him, something like that. But I just think Waller is um, certainly a more dynamic player. So you'd hope he'd be open more often than Kenny Galladay was. But I would think he should um, be that number one kind of safety valve for Jones. And I certainly think that would be the plan going in here. I mean, if he's getting like, oh, targeted by Darius Slayton or Isaiah Hodgins, I feel like something either went wrong or Darren Wall probably got injured. So I think going in, a healthy down wall, I think, certainly be be uh, their clear-cut number one.
1: Quick trivia. Who, What receiver or tight end had the most targets uh, in a Daniel Jones season with 109? In what year?
2: Oh, 109. 109 targets. I <laughs> think of someone who stayed healthy. Was it Golden Tate in uh,
1: 2019? That's a good guess, um, but it's Evan Ingram, 2020.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, there was, a year oh. Ingram, there was a year where Ingram stayed healthy and
1: made the Pro Bowl. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: wow. I, That's a good one.
1: Here, I, I want to ask you this because you're not a fan, obviously. You're a reporter. Does it aggravate you as much as me that this idea that Evan Ingram's totally revamped his career and was like, oh, he never did anything of like this on the Giants when he's having like his third best year in yards per game? Yeah. <laughs> And he's, he's simply like, he's not being targeted down the field. He's simply just almost become like a gadget tight end for them because it drives me nuts every time. It's like, look what Evan Ingram did outside. It's like, he's, he's done that before 2019. He was actually a good player, but anyways.
2: Uh, oh, I think the thing is he was the the poster boy for change of scenery was doing well. So even that, the reputation kind of going with it where like maybe he didn't produce better, but I don't know. I didn't, you know, watching every game, he might have the same amount of drops or tips into interceptions, something like that you just don't, you don't hear about you don't see about when guys in Jacksonville and he did have some he had some monster games in the second half of the season too so I think that kind of like formed people's opinions as a fresher thing like when he kind of went off there like a four-game stretch
1: yeah he was best on primetime tv is is I think what it was (laughs) and and the Jags were good and fun so obviously that that brings that raises all boats Mm -hmm. um we're recording be- this before any possible A. Sean Robinson news. Wait,
0: before you ask that, Bob, I want—I have one more question on the offense, and then we'll then we'll switch to other stuff and like skill position stuff. Um, speaking of being a reporter, not being a fan, because every every offensive move that Joe Shin has made so far, Dan, I feel like the line has been up. Oh, there's little risk here. There's little risk here. There's little risk here. They're making a lot of moves that have little risk financially. And especially like from a value standpoint, there's like there's little risk in value, but the biggest risk they're running, at least in my opinion, is is the possibility of just being low on depth again, kind of like they were this year, if the injuries start to pile up like they did last year. So, what's your take on the Giants' skill position players as of right now? And how and, you know obviously they'll add to it through the draft, but it's not even a question; it's just a concern of me as a fan of the Giants could be in the same position that they were last year if they have some injuries, kind of pile up and even though these are low risk ads that they're having they could find themselves in a similar spot as they were in last year
2: no i, I see what you're saying it's almost like you add up so many quote-unquote low risk high reward guys well if all the risks are realized all of a sudden it becomes a big risk because you know paris campbell was cheap because the guy couldn't stay healthy in indianapolis darren waller was available because he couldn't stay healthy uh you know obviously like it was funny when people freaked out about strong Shepard come back i mean it's like the minimum of minimum deals i don't even think they're counting on him I like it Shep really is like Wondell Robinson insurance. If, you know, I don't think Wondell – I mean, he said he will be, but we'll see. I don't think he'll be ready for week one. And if he's not, you have a guy who has, uh, you know, been super productive, great report, Daniel Jones, obviously great for the vibes. But you you don't – you know, you're hoping he's there for four to six weeks and then Wondell comes back and, and supplants him. And, it, you know, if, if it even shakes out that way. Uh, but I, I hear what you're saying. That, like, we all – this is the time of year where you look at best-case scenarios, I think, if you're a fan. It's like, well, hey, we got the guy who got – you know, 1200 yards receiving. It's like, well, that was, you know, going on three years ago now. So it, it's, it is certainly, um, you know, if you look at a half glass empty, you could say you also, you get the guy who missed, you know, however many games the last two years. Um, so no, I think that's valid. Um, it's hard. like, it's hard to really build up the depth. I mean, you guys make a lot of like Jeff Smith signings or, you know, cause again, like Richie James last year, when he signed, nobody, we are we sitting here on this podcast talking about Richie James and he turned out to be a really valuable depth piece. Yeah. Um, uh, So that you know, we we're not gonna react to those guys now. And then obviously, you know, you come across Isaiah Hodgins off the waiver wire and you know midseason. So like, those are the moves that are kind of you know depth is kind of hard. You know, it's like if you talk about defensive line, that's where Bobby's going next. Like, seems like they're really targeting that with like legitimate NFL guys um, to build that that depth up. But a lot of the other positions, you're just taking cheap flyers. You're gonna get some draft picks, and you just hope that if some of these injuries do strike, that you have some depth built in.
1: We've got about a two-year window with Isaiah Hodgins come breaking out to like boost guys up like jeff smith like no one realizes <laughs> like like that guy can become a player oh totally with leonard with Aishon, i don't want to talk about defensive line but is there any chance leonard williams is not here because that, to me it doesn't make any sense for him to not be on the giants
2: uh, yeah a chance yeah I, I think there's a chance i mean i, I look at it, it's like usually when you're in these situations there's kind of like two options like like say james bradbury last year they were either going to cut him or trade him like there was you know people got talk Fantasize, about other things they weren't going to do any of those too. I think with Leonard Williams is like five legitimate options, and I think there's pros and cons to all of them. You know, some more likely than others. Like, I think the least likely option is they just like leave his cap hit alone. He plays out the season, and then they move on the season. I don't think that'll happen. The other four, and I don't think they'll trade him. I don't think he was going to take that contract. I don't, I don't see that happening. The other four, I think, are all pretty realistic. You do a restructure where they push the money into the void year that's already on his contract. That's kind of goes with the all-in type mode where it's like, listen, you know, Joe Shane does not want to uh, push money into the future. But sometimes you kind of have to do that if you, if you want to win and you've already made some, some moves to win now. You can extend him, which to me, that's like the if you can thread that needle, that's the best avenue to take because you keep him on the team. You lower his cap it significantly. And the problem for the team there is: you're investing in a guy who's getting a little older. Obviously, started to finally show a little cracks in the durability last year. You have to determine if that was an aberration or a sign that he's breaking down. because He does have a lot of miles on him, but I still think that's probably the best option. You can get a reasonable contract, and again, that's why it's a needle have to thread. Um, pay cut, I think, is probably the ideal option from the team's perspective. The way I look at a pay cut is he's got an eighteen million dollars salary. You're it. not going, <laughs> you're not going to him for a two million dollar pay cut. That doesn't even it wouldn't even be worth your time you have to go for like four to six million. to again, to even make that phone call worthwhile for Joe Shane, that's a big ask. And if I'm, if I'm like Williams and saying okay, I can give up $6 million and make 12 this year, or I can go hit the market and listen, maybe he's not going to get $12 million a year, but he can sign a multi-year deal. He's get more than that guaranteed. And, and listen, he might even get more than that. Cause, you know, we don't know how the rest of the league views him. He's been a really productive player. So that one I think is, I'm sure in Joe Shane, you know, so he keeps joking, like thanking the media for asking that, you know, Leonard Williams, that question on, uh, on exit day. Uh, and then the other option is what I do there. I, oh, just cutting. It. And then that saves you $12 million. I mean, that's, that's the other option, which I think, think it would be a bad option because you're talking about building depth and all these different things to take away. One of your best players kind of set you back. And I, and I, I'm not a believer in, Oh, you take his 12 million and you know, we go sign three nachos. Your defense line isn't better. You know, maybe you can, straight by like that but I think there is a, a value in really good players and so if they were to cut him and just try and patch it together I I, I don't
1: think that would work out I think we're heading for a void year because even though Saquon talked about him not trying to reset the market and injury history and Larry Williams sending a pay cut, Larry Williams has put the Giants over a barrel and I'm <laughs> sure his agent isn't going to give some extension without it being big money and are the Giants willing to give him some big money but also I don't see any value in cutting him
2: and I didn't even put context on the Leonard Williams thing. I mean, he got asked that in an interview. And I think one of my pet peeves is how people are so imprecise with, like, language. Like, everything is called a restructure. And it's like a restructure is what Darren Waller did, where they just take some of your salary, convert it into a bonus, and it has absolutely no impact on the player. Um, like, a pay cut is where you lose money. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe they could give it – the thing I think they would do is try to say, hey, we're going to cut your pay by, let's say, $4 million. But if you do this, this, and this, you can make $6 million back. You know, that, that way you kind of at least give them a little carrot. Um, and, then, and it's funny because I think the word pay cut has been replaced by rework. When you see, like, the national reports, so-and-so reworked this contract by, like, $7 million. Like, you the you like got slashed by $7 million. Um, But so he got asked about taking a pay cut, and he kind of just, like, said, hey, I consider it. But then I don't know if it was within the same answer or maybe someone circled back on that same session. He totally walked it back. He's like, oh, you know, I didn't really give him that much of a thought. I, you know, didn't come up in my ex interview. Uh, I'd have to talk to my agent, blah blah blah. So like, it wasn't like he was like, yeah, you know what? Like, I, whatever it takes, I'm gonna be here. Just, you know, five million dollars, no problem. Like, he <laughs> he didn't really say it with his chest. He kind of like, yeah, you know, I'd consider it. But push comes to shove, I mean, as you said, his agents have done a very good job of maximizing his earnings. If I'm them, I mean, he might like it here. Maybe that maybe that's the the tiebreaker. But like, if it's a six million dollar pay cut, I'm saying we can go on the market and get a lot more than $12 million. So that, that to me would be a tough sell.
0: We're a few weeks out from the combine. And I remember last year, you know, there was Logan Ryan, make a cut, Logan Ryan, make a cut. And, Le- and Leonard Williams being cut reminded me of like, oh, that's a move mm-hmm. that I wouldn't agree with number one. And also I I don't, you know, we don't, ex- I- I'm not expecting Leonard Williams to get a cut, but maybe, but maybe it could happen. Um, is there anything that was stemming from the combine this year that maybe you heard, but you're like, oh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to happen, but I heard it maybe a few times. Is there anything funky that was coming out of the combine this year? That's maybe on the horizon for the Giants. That's a good
2: question. I mean, cause yeah, Leonard Williams, I mean, uh, the Logan Ryan one uh, definitely does stick. I think Pat Leonard reported like a week or two before the combine. And it was kind of like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Not his report, but just like financially didn't make any sense. And then I was talking to people at the combine and they were kind of like, no, eh, no, I wouldn't dismiss that. Um, and obviously it came to be. There's nothing like that that jumps out to me. Because, I mean, listen, to be honest, so much of that combine was Daniel Jones and Saquon. Like, those two topics dominated everything, too. So it was like, you know, when your quarterback – like, literally, one night I went to um, a hotel lobby bar, and Kevin Abrams and Brian Murphy, Daniel Jones' agents, were sitting at the same high-top table, you know, before I guess before they went up to dinner, it was just – so it's like you knew that they were very much engaged in conversations. Um, so that was dominating all the gossip or all the reporting you're trying to do is like, what is going on with this? Uh, obviously, national reporters were all over it too. So like that was a, such a dominant topic that I don't really recall or nothing jumps out to me as something like sort of under the radar, like the Leonard Williams thing. I didn't. I never got any great intel on that, but I think it was probably just more focused on um, on the big move.
0: It was interesting to hear how involved. Kevin Abrams is slash was in that Daniel Jones negotiation. Cause really that's the first time that we've heard his name since he got kind of his demotion from <laughs> assistant GM kind of when Joe Shane came in.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's in a very uh, like niche role. Like I mean, he's a skilled negotiator. Like people can say, Oh, their cap or the contract and stuff like that. But like negotiating is still a skill and he's done it for like 25 years. as a kind of like the lead negotiator. So I don't know exactly. Uh, this is probably something I need to do a better job reporting out like when they were sitting at the table, let's say in the Giants facility, like is Joe Shane kind of running that show or is Kevin Abrams running that show? I don't know that, but I do know Kevin Abrams was much more like the point man. Like he's the one dealing with the, eight because Joe Shane has a million things on his plate. He can't spend eight hours, you know, getting drinks, going to dinner all this. Like he has so much on his plate. He's got to do interviews with prospects. So you need a kind of a lieutenant like Kevin Abrams to to at least do that. I mean, because again, some of that stuff was so complex with the structure and the incentives and all that stuff, like, you need to have someone like Kevin Abrams to at least, you know, be dealing with that very minute stuff and then you bring it to, to Joe Shane. But yeah, that is, it, he's definitely very much still involved in that. Um, But, you know, I think Joe Shane is, is more involved than at least Dave Gettleman. And to my uh, to my knowledge, Jerry he is more hands-on from what I gather in that stuff. But I do think uh, Kevin Abrams and then Ed Triggs uh, also are, are still very much um, involved in that. Cause I mean, listen, that's their area of expertise. Joe Shane, um, I think understands the cap obviously, but I don't think you know he's an expert like those two guys are in
1: terms of just they live it every day. You mentioned Saquon being a big talk down there, and I feel like it's kind of gotten forgotten in the Daniel Jones contract and and free agency. He's on the tag. He's able to negotiate with teams. Obviously, if they wanted to like do some type of sign and trade or something, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, Where's this headed? Does Saquon play on the franchise tag? One, do they want him to play on the franchise tag? And the reported offers, if that's still there, how has Saquon not accepted it yet? <laughs> no, it's
2: it's fascinating. I, yeah, I remember some of the other reporters, like as soon as he got tagged and Jones and Simon were like, oh, this will get done. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, I, I mean, I really hadn't heard one way or the other. I was kind of surprised that people just thought it was like this, uh, you know, they'll be done. But I, I, when you look at it objectively, it makes sense. Because if those offers, like you mentioned, let's just say $13 million a year, that was still on the table, you know, going into last week. Like, I'm not sure if you're him, what you're kind of holding out for. Like, there's absolutely no incentive for the Giants up there offering. If anything, that's, that's generous at this point. Cause I mean, you look at that wire, that running back market, nobody's getting paid. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it, they're an interesting spot. If I'm the Giants, and I'm not saying this is what they think, I'm totally fine with playing him on the tag. That's if any position you want to go year to year with, it's that one, especially a guy who, yeah, he had a bounce back year last year. Who's to say he's going to you know, duplicate that? Cause I'm them. I tag him this year. Uh, you let him play on the tag this year. That's a good year. I tag him again. You still only, you know, out $22 million in that scenario. Still, uh you're coming out ahead of what the average annual value is on these longer term deals. So if I'm him, I'm curious to see how he's going to play this because what what's his play? Like I'm going to sit out OTAs and kind of be a distraction. Like, is that enough to, to, to I don't know, get ownership involved and say, listen, give him 14. Like what's the number even? he's not going to get, you know, $16 million all year, obviously at this point. Like how can he squeeze any more out of him? So I, again, if I'm him and I'm not, and I have three years, $39 million. Yeah. I think you have to swallow your pride and just take it. Unless you're willing to say, screw it. I'm gonna play on the tag. And then, but again, he can tag again. I don't know. I don't know what his end game would be uh, if he doesn't take these offers, assuming they stand. And I still, I haven't heard otherwise. I assume they do still stand. that'd be kind of, you know, it'd be a ruthless move, a little bit dirty, dirty pool though, especially if they're pretty well publicized what they put out there. Um, so unless he just thinks him being disgruntled is enough of a thing uh, to move the needle and, and force their hand to off their offer, I, I can't see that being the case, though.
1: It's fascinating from every angle where it's like, I don't think he's a guy with the, not just running back position in general. Like I hate when there's generalities made about the running back position, but Saquon Barkley in particular with his injury history and his ability and a, a, not just a history of injuries, but a history of not playing well when, Dealing with like little bang ups, you know, not major injuries, missing games that one, they offered him supposedly some long term deal. Maybe that could be a lot of fake money in it. And then for right. his point of view to not take that and to be willing to do this tag thing, which I think is from the Giants point of view, that would be the ideal situation, is playing him on the tag. So, I, yeah, I have no idea how play this him. plays out, but it's fascinating.
2: Like he said, like he didn't want to be on the tag. So I can't imagine that cha- it's, it's just objectively. It's not a good outcome for him. You're making ten million dollars a year. If you have a bad year, you get banged up, then you're, what's your market like next offseason if the Giants want to move on? So to, to me, that's, I mean, the only other, I can't, wouldn't even call this leverage, but like they'll save a few million on the cap if they extend him, presumably. You know, as we talked earlier, you can kind of backload these deals. So maybe he's waiting for them to like come back to him and say, listen, we need like 4 million on the cap. Let's get this deal done. And he says, fine, but throwing an extra, you know, 500 grand a year. I don't know. Like, I just think he has zero leverage. If Miles Sanders were out, and got like $12 million a year. Then you can say, look at the running back market is, you know, it's bountiful. Let's, let's, you know, I'm better than this guy. Miles well, Sanders got like six. So it's just, I just don't see him having any leverage. And again, if I was advising him, I'd say, listen, man, thanks. We thought we were going to get more it's still a pretty good offer. It's where you want to be. He definitely wants to be in New York, kind of swallow hard and, and take it. But uh, it's easier said than done. I guess if you do site on one thing and you feel like you're getting underpaid by an organization that you probably feel like should value more, I can understand the human element to that to an extent.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like the, really the only leverage he has would be to not show up the training camp, which yeah, is like is is a guy like Saquon Barkley going to not show up the training camp? That's the question. So, right. like even OTAs and minicamp, him not being there, I don't think it even moves the needle. For I like I, I don't I don't see Giants fans even being mad at Saquon for not showing up the minicamp and OTAs, and like we should be, you know, that's something that oh yeah, of gets just being accepted like yeah, no, no, that, but again, like
2: and then he's a very image conscious guy, like he would lose the fan base if if he if you know. Everyone kind of knows who these offers are too. And if he just like hold, no, it wouldn't be a hold up. but if he just skips training camp out of, you know, um, his anger about, you know, kind of being mistreated by the Giants. He's not going to get a lot of sympathy. He's a very, You know, he's a very marketable guy and brand conscious guy. So I don't think he has a lot of great options. And I'm sure the Giants feel that way too, which is probably why they're just, you know, whenever you're ready to come sign that contract, big guy, because I, I just can't see why they would give him a penny more than what they've offered. And honestly, you could justify, you know, giving less. I, I don't think they'll do that either.
1: So there's a curse right now of tw- players that have tweeted Talking Giants versus the World uh <laughs> being done. Nick Gates gone, Julian Love gone, Chris Meyer, they just traded for Darren Waller, which makes his job less less uh secure. But with the Nick Gates part, what is the what's happening at center? Like are are they kinda like got their offer out for Feliciano and they're expecting him to come back? Like are they willing to put a guy like Bredesen there because they like Azudu? Like what do you, what is your feel on the center spot? Because it's, it's right now it's a huge, like they don't even have anyone that plays center on the roster really.
2: Yeah, no, I'll be honest. I'm a little surprised that Feliciano isn't back on some, you know, one year, two and a a half, $3 million deal. Um, can't, I mean, I can't imagine he thinks he's going to have some super strong market elsewhere. Uh, I think he's more valuable to, I wouldn't even say the giants more valuable to like Bobby Johnson, Brian Dable, and Joe Shane than he is anywhere else. So I would still think that's how that plays out again. I mean, He's not a guy that they're going to want to spend a lot of money. I, I can't imagine he's can be deluded to thinking he has a you know a big market out there. And now we're a week in, and he hasn't signed. So I would think they bring him back to me. He kind of feels like an ideal stopgap type guy where you can draft a center, not feel compelled to start that guy as a rookie. But yep. then you know next year, you know again, please, it would definitely be a one-year deal. Okay, this guy's you know apprentice for a year. He's ready to take over. But if for whatever reason um, they don't bring him back. I think Bredesen is is certainly one of those guys in the mix. I think, I think the goal and the plan is for Zuda to start left guard. I mean, you drafted him 67th overall, you know, there was definitely some, some highs and lows last year, but you draft the guy uh, at that point, you have to expect that he's going to develop into a starter in year two. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think you probably saw enough to make. And and if he doesn't, they have other options too. I mean, Joe Shane keeps talking about how they have like 15 guards basically under contract. Um, but so then center, I think you have a, a mixture of like Bredesen, Shane Lemieux, Jack Anderson. Like none of those guys are going to get you excited, but like, again, it's sort of like a strength in numbers thing where you let those guys battle it out. I'd probably put Bredesen uh, as the top option. I remember talking, I think he was talking to Pat Flaherty after last season. And you know, that was a thing they had discussed. I think he'd taken a few snaps here and there. Like they think that could be his home. Um, so that's a new coaching staff and it feels like uh, they view it that way too. So Maybe that's a way to get a guy like him on the field, who has you know been pretty solid at guard. But you know, centers are less valuable than guards. You can kind of maybe get by with a cheap guy. Maybe maybe that's the route they go. I still still think Feliciano will be back, but uh, I'm not sure quite what the hangup is there.
1: Yeah, Bredesen's one of the more intriguing players on the roster because I mean he when he played he was their second best offensive lineman. Uh, but again, like he did the year before, where he was bad, the injuries, and then like you said, Azudu. Zudu showed signs of improvement. It wasn't out there being a world beater, but did show signs of improvement for a guy who needed it. But has that athletic profile, so it's like, do they put him at center? Like, is he gonna be a backup after performing better than guys like Lewinsky, who have bigger contracts? So, Justin, do you have anything else?
0: I have nothing else. Thank you, uh, Dan Duggan. Some say you're an award-winning uh, journalist.
1: <laughs> yeah. What do you think nah. we should do with the Tony Award? Because I'm kind of like a little burnt out on it. No,
0: here's but, here's a different question
1: here's the thing is i don't like the fan vote but here here's, here's a different question though
0: what what do the other be at least some of you know the beat reporters that we're close with and stuff like that do you have an idea of what they think about it and do you guys view it as like an award that you're proud of or is it just a job? Uh,
2: i'm certainly proud of my uh my trophy and also didn't Jordan like campaign for it and was like kind of butthurt that he didn't get it? So that alone makes I want him to come want to do it again just so he can't win so he can be upset about it again. Because wasn't that the case? He was you guys did some sort of thing on Twitter where you were like you know saying why well, he blew his candidacy somehow. Well, like, Danny King broke the that. news
1: that Nick Gates and Ben Bredesen would be rotating on Saturday okay. night. Uh, Danny King, king of scoops. Um, and Jordan tweeted that out the next day. And didn't credit Danny King, so I think uh, I think he lost probably about twenty votes or so, and that ended up mattering. Okay. Um, we thought about doing like it because it's it's not about being a good person; it's about being the best beat reporter. About doing like a point system of you get a scoop on a free agent signing type of thing. You get it, you know. It, but that's just too much work for us to keep up. Yeah, with that everyone. feels like a
2: lot of work. Uh- <laughs>
1: If it did, if hey, if it did happen, Ryan Dunlevy would be like number one right now. He's been yeah, he's
2: killing it this offseason.
1: I, I mean, I've never that's the most I've ever seen a beat reporter go to war with the with Giants fans on Twitter, and then getting the Daniel Jones news. I'm sure felt like some pretty good vindication for him.
2: Yeah, when you get him, I told you, you got to get him on. I mean, he would be he'd be a riveting interview for a lot of reasons, but to, to uh, take you inside that like three week phase he had there, where he like you said he was going to war, and then he gets the scoop. Like I mean, that was. He had a he had a run there for himself.
1: Yeah, I think we're gonna get him on at some point. You know, once once the draft's over is when we kind of move into more interview based stuff. But yeah, he was. Okay. I I mean I had I've been I've been paying attention to this since 2019, really, and I've never seen a beat reporter just wage a two week war with just like, <laughs> just trying to destroy narratives where it's like Dunleavy, you got to give it up, man. Like, they're, they're fans. Like they're they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna defend their guy. Dan, yeah, that's entertaining. Dan, we appreciate you. uh We'll talk soon. Thanks again for uh, coming on, everyone. Go subscribe to the Athletic. All right, thanks a lot, guys.
0: Hey, surely
1: you better hope I never get back in. I will kick your ass. Hey, baby, let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs and have some fun. All right, thanks, Dan Duggan, for coming on the podcast. In today's episode, today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. That's right, geeks get some seats. Baseball is. Back, and to celebrate, SeatGeek is giving a special offer to our fans. Use code JOHNBOYPRESEASON. This is different than our usual code. JOHNBOYPRESEASON for 15% off your order, whether you are a first-time buyer or not. That's huge, because a lot of times, you know, it's first-time, code off. This is like, if you've used SeatGeek 10 million times, you can get 15% off with JOHNBOYPRESEASON. If you don't know what SeatGeek is, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web into one place to make buying simple and rates every ticket from 0 to 10 to make sure you're getting a good deal. Green good, red bad. Simple as that. The code uh, works on tickets to anything and does not matter how many times you've bought tickets using SeatGeek before. So again, you don't have to use this on baseball, even though this ad is about baseball. So John Boy Preseason is going to get you 15% your uh, next order. And again, this this offer expires at the end of the month. So draft month rolls around. This uh this promotion is done. So go use John Boy preseason. Use it for hockey games. The Devils are awesome. Uh, we've got the hookup for you right now. Use your code John preseason for 15% off tickets at SeatGeek. All right, Justin. Thanks again, Dan Duggan, coming on the pod. Uh we'll be back on Friday. P- probably a two or three signings podcast. But if not, we'll we gotta get a mailbag in uh within the next two episodes. And then we have Nick Faldo on for our annual uh, uh, mid mid round prospects, and then it's then it's draft month. We put together our draft month schedule. Got the production get going for the draft hoodie. It's right around the corner.
0: Was it thirty nine days, something like that? It's
1: insane! It's insane how fast
0: it's coming around. Doesn't doesn't feel like it. Um, what what do we think night one's gonna be like? Like we we've always all right. Like we we think it's a long time of waiting until pick 5. We have picked 25.
1: I mean, 2021 we to basically wait till pick 20, but we were on the clock and not Oh, but right, it,
0: but there was the excitement of the trade though. So things were happening in Giants line despite us not picking until pick 20.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it'll be it be What if imagine if you're like a team that like trades your first round pick for a wide receiver and it's like, "Oh, we get, we get a guy that everyone like Imagine Cardinals fans is like, all right, first round recap. We traded for Hollywood Brown. Well, imagine being a
0: Rams fan every year.
1: Yeah, they didn't have any picks to the fourth round. That's so weird. That's why I said the Rams last year should have just traded away those picks for whatever they could have gotten and been like, take the year off, scouts. Like, get some much needed rest and relaxation. Like, uh, enjoy yourself. Get a little. Get get working on two thousand twenty-three. But they didn't listen to me.
0: There was a uh, there was a tweet recently that was going around of every NFL team was at Oregon's pro day besides the Rams. <laughs> <laughs> Those they just guys got figure it figured out, man. They just don't have picks. They should just trade they should trade like everybody away, but they're not they're well, not they're letting
1: everyone to. go, basically. Yeah. And trading them away so they're they're in full rebuild mode so we appreciate you guys we'll see you on friday until then let's go big blue